Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 429. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 429 you're listening to. My guest today is the return of producer-engineer Andy Reid, based out of Bay City, Michigan, who's worked with The Verve Pipe, The Legal Matters, and Amy Petty, to name a few. As I indicated, this is Andy's second appearance on the show. His first goes pretty far back to WCA number 130. Yeah, it's a good time ago. So we're going to check in with Andy, see what's new, see what ideas he has for us. And I, of course, look forward to having you hear that conversation. So Andy Reid, coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about keeping your foot on the gas. All right, so I'm using an analogy, obviously, because this is not a car show, but let's just let's just examine that for a minute. So if you drive a gas-powered car, then you, know, you, you keep your foot on the gas when you're kind of going uh, uphill, right? It's only when things are going downhill you can pull your foot off the gas and expect the car to go a great distance on its own and you don't have to exert much effort. But it's those uphill moments where you have to keep your foot on the gas. And that, my friends, is exactly what I'm talking about in regards to our audio careers. Doesn't matter if it's music, film, games, whatever you're doing in audio, it's an uphill slope and you have to keep your foot on the gas, otherwise the car is gonna slow down. You might think that if you had some successes of a significant nature that you could just pull your foot off the gas and coast, right? Not so, not so. If you listen to my conversations, especially with uh, Matt Wallace in particular, yeah. If you listen to conversations with Matt, Matt has had great success with Maroon 5 and Faith No More. And if you go to his studio, you can even see the plaque, 15 million records sold for the first Maroon 5 record. You know, really significant accomplishment, obviously. But Matt still has to hustle. There are people at the record companies that, you know, they were honestly, they were born after Maroon 5 came out. And they're like, oh, right, who are you? It's not just Matt, it's everybody. Everybody has this issue. Now, maybe, maybe, and, and I may be completely full of shit on this, but maybe if you're in that, that top tier 1%, the very tippity top, mixing the latest and the greatest, maybe you can coast. I don't know. But anything below that, it seems you have to continually promote yourself. You have to continually be on social media and you have to be working on the website and getting out and networking and doing all that. And, you know, I don't know about you all. I do the social media thing for you know, promotion of the work that I do and I do the website, not because I want to, I do it because I feel like I have to. And I, I bet a lot of you feel that way as well. It's, at the end of the day, I would rather just sit in here and mix and do nothing else and not have to worry about any of that crap and just have the work come in, right? But that's not the case. The projects I get involved with, I enjoy, but the promotion of that, the, hey, look what I did, I was involved with this, is is really just one more element in keeping the foot on the gas. If you don't let people know, 
It's out of sight, out of mind. Now, in the past, I think it may have been a little easier because credit information was readily available. It was on the back, back of the vinyl record or it was in the, the CD liner notes or the cassette liner notes. That information is harder and harder to come by. And one element here, and I'm gonna just publicly plead with these companies that are claiming to do, doing great work when it comes to credits. I, I applaud them for trying, but none of them, none of them are doing a, a stellar job. I think that uh, that's where we need some improvement. And I'm talking all of them, all music, Discogs, Muso.ai, uh, all of them. N I have yet to come across one that is really nailing it. So I'm not here to, you know, rake them over the coals. They need to do better work. They need to do more thorough work to get all of us into their system and make sure that those credits are, you know, registered. Because it's great if you're gonna appeal to like, you know, the top 10% of the workforce, but there's a whole other group of people below that that are doing work. And I'm talking to that group right now, right? That's who many of you are out there. So look, my friends, at the end of the day, don't sit back and just think, oh, I had one success, I can coast now. No, every day you gotta get up, you gotta get out of bed, and you gotta get on the horse, right? And you gotta just, bust ass. If you want to do it part-time, that's a different story. It's a whole different discussion. But if you want to do it, make a good living at it, you got to work. You got to put the effort in. Okay. On that note, I'm going to go and put the effort into refilling this coffee cup. So that's my rant. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. Andy Reid here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Andy, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Good to be back. Yeah, 299 episodes later, you're here. You were originally on WCA number 130, which I'll include, include a link in the show notes audience so you can go back and get Andy's backstory and get our original conversation. But for now, we are going to play catch up and talk about some new thoughts and ideas that Andy has. So in a nutshell... Let's see, 130. God, I can't even remember when that was, but a lot's happened since then. I think 2018-ish. 2018-ish? Okay, sure. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Five years, five years ago, yeah. A couple things have changed. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the highlights. Let's talk about COVID, that time period. How did that go for you? It was tricky at first. Uh, we were one of the, the luckier families, you know, me being self-employed and my studio is in my home. So that of course meant that no one could come over. So I was pretty much taking a break from work, which was good because my daughter at that time, she would have been in second grade. So end of first grade. And so I was able to homeschool her for like an entire year actually too. So I was back to work later, but I ended up being a, a second grade teacher, which was a challenge in itself while my wife worked remotely upstairs from the kitchen. So we got by just fine. It, we, we were we were lucky, you know. We we've been people that always kind of lived within our means, and we always kind of had it like if one person couldn't work, we could get by okay. You know what I mean? As far as our bills and stuff like that, we always kind of just that was our rule, my wife and I. So it really paid off in in that situation. I was able to collect some unemployment and stuff like that. But what I did too is like once I kind of got the gears going, I did offer a thing where I, I started doing some mixing work, stuff that I could do without people here. 
and mastering. And, you know, my, I guess my, my strength is more like kind of in the room with people producing, helping them with arrangements and songs and stuff like that. So I did this thing where I offered people for $250, if they sent me like a guitar track and a vocal, I would then record the rest of the instrumentation, the drums, the bass, the guitars, keyboards, whatever, and mix it and send it back. Of course, we would consult and be like, you know, what, what kind of feel do you want? We would go through the, all that conversation. And that actually really, really helped me out. So I was doing, you know, a couple songs a week from different people who were just recording themselves at, at home. They would send me the files and then on my own time after homeschooling my daughter, then I could come downstairs and, and work on some music. And I'm sure you've talked about audio movers a ton, mm-hmm. how much of a lifesaver that is done the sessions like we're zooming like you and I are now and they're able to like listen and actually be there while I'm composing the parts so I can say hey do you like when I go to that A there or do you like when I go to the F sharp stuff like that so we were still able to keep that communication line between producer and artist open with the technology that was there so that was huge the only difference was we were just looking at each other on a screen versus them sitting behind me on the couch you Mm. know what I mean So that got me through, that got me through. And that actually led to a lot of opportunities where people weren't able to travel to Bay City, which is where I'm located. So I got some people from out of town and... Bay City, Michigan, for those who didn't know that. Sorry, yes, which you get to drive by once in a while on your way up north, right? That's right. Yep. So one led to a fellow that I met through some mutual friends on Facebook. He did a song and... He was based in North Carolina, and he was just in here for two weeks in January and did an entire record. So he drove up, or over, I guess, over from North Carolina. And so it opened a lot of doors for me, which was great. It was just I was just trying to think outside the box, think about things that I could possibly do to not only keep my chops up, but just to keep making money so I could contribute to the household and bills and stuff. So... Between mixing and mastering and that venture, I was able to get through okay. How did you get the clients for the send me the vocal and guitar thing? I just did a Facebook blurb. So I I just did a thing like, hey, I got this idea. If anybody's interested, you know, at that point, everybody was so chomping at the bit to do something musical too, you know, and it wasn't just me like needing work. It was people wanting to record and and feel like they're getting something done. They can't perform live. And a lot of it was just them kind of testing the waters. And some of them were just people that just had one song. They weren't, you know, that's all they wanted to do. And, and some turned into projects, but yeah, it was just Facebook. And then my friends would share it and say, Hey, well, I know this one guy that was looking to record some songs and they sent it to, it was just a word of mouth thing on Facebook. Wow. That's brilliant. Yeah. And and you knew at that point when we were all kind of holed up in our houses that a lot of people were online constantly. Right. And looking for something interesting to participate in. And I didn't want to charge too much either because I know we were all hurting financially, you know what I mean? Especially musicians. So it's like, it was one of those things where it's like, it's just enough for me to justify going down there for a few hours and, and getting some work done. And, and it was fun. You know what I mean? I did have fun with it too. So it was a good price point for it. And like I said, I didn't want to gouge anybody at that time either, because it's just, we were all just trying to get by. Now, have you continued to do that? Because that's still kind of an attractive thing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've, I've left it open to people to do that. I haven't really promoted it as much because now that I'm kind of back in the swing of things, you know, I'm usually booked out a couple months with just the people that I normally work with. And I mm. have some more, more bigger projects coming up where, where I know they're going to be more time consuming. But what I think I'm going to do is when the summertime comes around, I'm going to promote it a little bit before summer because that's a good thing because then I can stay at home with my daughter. She, you know, she's 10, so it's like she's too old to go to daycare. She's too young to be left on to her own, you know, <laughs> left on her own. So right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to keep an eye on her. But the, the thing that I like about it, too, is that it, it frees me up to do the work whenever I want versus like a client coming in from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., so I'm going to try to do a little bit more of it in the summertime. And, and right now I'm kind of taking advantage of the people being able to come in and, and work together. That's great. That's fantastic. In terms of, you know, your workspace and your workflow, did you acquire any new gear? Did you change anything technique wise? Did you learn anything that not necessarily during COVID, but since I talked to you last? Man, I'm sure there's gear. I oh, bet yeah. there there's is. Always, yeah, I have a problem with that. But no, I. it's one of those weird things where I think I've finally solidified everything that I need and that I like. You know, mm-hmm. I think my last big purchase was one of the Mojave 37s, the Sony, the, their version of the oh. Sony the C37. Oh, so jealous. That's such a That's such a cool mic. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful microphone. So one thing that I've struggled with since day one, because my room is so small, is roomy drum sounds, okay? Mm. I could get that 70s dry thing pretty good because that's pretty much all I could do. So you try to squeeze as much room sound as you can with compression and blah, 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 all these different things. So what I think that's been really cool recently is these room emulations like the Ocean Way from Universal Audio. Mm-hmm. And IK Multimedia has made like the Fame Studio, Sunset Sound, and all these different room things. So I can take like that Mojave 37, put it right in front of the kit and get like a good kit sound and then put the room plugin on that one individual mic. And then it's like, boom, there's my room mic. And then I can blend that into the room. And now I have air around my kit versus just that dry 70s thing. And, you know, when I used to squeeze compression, try to get the room to be bigger, it's not a perfect room. So I'd get like some nasty cymbal ring and all kinds of crap. So all I got to do now is take one microphone. That's my room sound. And then I just treat that like the room mic, put the room simulator on that one track, and then just treat it like a far room mic. And then it's like, okay, now we got dimension. You know what I mean? Versus just having everything dry and in your face. So that's been a huge, huge upgrade. Mm. I think for a lot of people that have small rooms, you know what I mean? So it's like now we can mess with size. So that's been great. You know, we've tried to fake it for years with with plates and stuff like that. And I know that a lot of people that can get a lot of dimension that way as well. But uh, having these actual rooms and I think like even with the Motown chambers and stuff that they have now for Universal Audio, it's like the tools that are available are just ridiculous, you know? Oh, yeah. How is, you know, your small room affected your mixing and your mastering in terms of how you feel about how the room reacts with your speakers? Well, I did upgrade my speakers too. I got some some of the Dyn Audio three ways. I don't even know LYD forty eights. I think they are. Mm-hmm. They're great, and and 
you just got to stay at low volumes. Once they start kind of getting at a louder volume, the room kind of starts extending and or cutting frequencies, you know. So just bouncing between low volumes. I have the Oratones as kind of like my car stereo reference speakers. And then I'll use these biodynamic headphones too. So I'm bouncing between the three a lot. Mm. Bass is obviously the one thing that gets the trickiest because it is a low ceiling, long room. I do get some extended bass and I have traps and stuff like that, but I like the way it sounds in here. So I'm used to the way it sounds. I know where my problem areas are. If I feel like things are getting too boomy, I'm already either too loud and I need to turn my volume down, you know, a little bit and, and or just check with my headphones and uh, stuff like that. But I mean, when you've been in the same spot for 17 years, you're going to get to know it. You know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> I don't have to run to the car anymore and just double check to make sure the bass is present and stuff like that. And that's the nice thing with these Dyn Audios. It's like great mid, mid-range detail. And I didn't have that before with the JBLs that I have. So it's actually really helped me out. And I bought those, you know, a couple months into the pandemic, which was just the worst time to buy something. But it's like, I need something to make me feel like I'm going somewhere. (laughs) So I bought these and I got the white ones, which kind of look like stormtroopers, which is just kind of cool to me. It's like what (laughs) what a stormtrooper would have in his home entertainment system. So, but they're great. (laughs) I love them. So yeah, I just think it's a matter of just mixing at a relatively decent volume. I I think that's true for any room though, isn't it at this point? I mean, sure. Unless you're in a big studio with the ones in the wall and crank the hell out of them. I personally think my tendency is to mix at, like, I would say, I don't know, 78 dB, 80 at the most. When you have a small room, it allows you to monitor at a quieter volume and really still hear what's going on as opposed to a ginormous room where you're like, wait, what's what's going on there? Yeah. At such quiet volumes. And I find that it's just more conducive for translation for what I'm doing. But I wanted to ask, you know, you mentioned, you said 17 years. I mean, let's talk about you being in Bay City. Because I think a lot of people who listen who are not in the major cities can identify with this. And that is, is you're not really, well, you're, you're not in a major market at all. No. You are in a market that I think a lot of people are in the same position where they're kind of in not isolated areas, but areas that aren't exactly known for music or, or audio production in any way, shape or form. So how do you make that work? How do you, how do you overcome the fact that there's not a thriving music scene in Bay City? Yeah. So, okay. So one thing to note is that I'm about an hour and a half to two hours from about three decent sized markets that's detroit lansing and grand rapids okay which they all have tons of studios though too when i started and i was started as a musician you know in rock and roll bands and stuff like that i was a guitar player and we would play these other markets the detroit the lansings and and grand rapids and, and college town ann arbor's another good one you know what i mean and so you would play with other bands and network and become friends with a lot of people so Over time, you know, I had this network of friends and when it came time to, I, you know, I didn't even really say, Hey, I'm going to start a a studio in Bay city. It just kind of happened. So when I got into this, I did it to just kind of save money and record myself. And plus I liked the whole concept of making records, you know what I mean? Like 
I did a record with Brendan Benson when he was in Detroit, and he's the one that got me kind of hooked on this whole this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got into it just to kind of record myself. And so the whole way it started was I put this Reed Brothers CD out. It was my, my brother and myself, but I kind of just produced it and, and did everything. And we then we'd go out and play shows and stuff like that. The thing that, that was nice is there was nothing else around here. There was no other facilities at all. There was well, there was one in Midland, which is close by. But like, I know all the original bands and all the the songwriters and stuff. I just knew from just playing out and just playing coffee houses or whatnot with acoustic guitar. So it's like they'd be like, "Oh, you have recording equipment? Would you want to record me? Would you?" Want? And I'm like, "Sure, great, that's awesome." So that's how it started, and then you know eventually. You know, one good record can turn into two more jobs, and those two records can mm-hmm. turn into another job, and it's just it it just kind of sprung from there. And before I knew it, though, it's like all these singer songwriters that were kind of from my area, and dude, there's a lot of really really talented people around here too. And I'm talking Bay City, Saginaw, Midland. We call it the Tri City area, okay? And uh, this one artist I work with, Amy Petty. She was from Detroit and she moved up to Saginaw. I mean, she's like a world-class vocalist. Like she's played Carnegie Hall in like standing ovation kind of stuff. And she writes these tremendous songs. She's a music school grad and, and it's just like, but these are the people that I'm getting now that I built up the reputation as like the guy to go to if you're a singer songwriter. Hmm. My pal Donnie, who I played in the Verve Pipe with, which we talked about last time we talked, he lives in Saginaw again. So he's my session drummer. So it's like I got class A drummer ready to go for decent price. I got violin players, everybody, every, any instrument you can possibly want, I can get a person in to play that. So it's like we got all the resources that you could get in a big city we can do in my basement, you know, at this point, other than like an orchestra or something like that. So I've tried to just kind of ride that wave of being, you know, I, I always wanted to be just an engineer. Let me say that first. Like I wanted to get a studio, I wanted to set up microphones. I wanted to be the guy to just turn all the knobs and just put my head down and hit record. I ended up being a producer, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that had engineering skill. Right. And so I think that once I realized that that was my thing that separated me from other people, then I kind of embraced it and just kind of like started taking more jobs in that nature. And oddly enough, I enjoy them way more because you're a part of the music. You know what I mean? You're, you're a band member. And a lot of my records are just one-on-one with another person and they want the works, you know, they want drums, bass, and the whole nine. So, and, and to get those things, it doesn't cost an arm and a leg because right. you're living in a state that the cost of living is tremendously lower than many other states or, or in, yeah. that are in, a, in the primary markets. So what would your message be to people who are living in places that they're like, oh, man, I, I wish I lived in L.A. or Nashville? What would you tell them? I would say, I don't want to say just, you know, like, to define or specialize, but think about what you want to do within the studio. It's like, I think that, that there's a lot of general studios out there that just kind of like you go and record kind of thing. Think about how you are going to be different than this person here, this person here. What can you bring to the table that that's going to be unique to you? Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I think that I didn't think that that was what was going to help me out in the future. I had no idea. I just wanted to hit record and push buttons. But if you like working with bands, then focus on working with bands. If you like working with solo artists or, or specific genres, you can even like, like, let's say you want to be an Americana producer, engineer kind of thing. It's like, find three of the best artists in your state and say, hey, man, come on and do one song. I'm, I'm just trying to work on some stuff. I'll, I'll record it for free. I'd just like to meet you and, and record a song and, and kind of see what we can do together. And, you know, those people are going to go in there and, and do, do a free song. You know what I mean? Most of them are. And it's just a good way to meet people, too. And it's just like, and it's another good way for you to get some work in your portfolio. So, if you really want to specialize, I think that's a good thing. Now that there are so many people doing this and have access to all these tools, you have to figure out a way that you're different. You know what I mean? It's like, luckily, I didn't realize it, but I was working towards that one thing. And now that I can recognize what it is, I'm glad that I did specialize. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I, like I said, I love working with solo artists and I love working with bands too. Don't get me wrong. I still do a lot of band stuff, but that one-on-one -on -one back and forth between the artist and producer is, is just a lot of fun. But yeah, I, the advice thing, it's, it's a tough call because if you live in an isolated area, hopefully you are near-ish to a, a bigger city like Detroit or Lansing in my situation where you're an hour, hour and a half from. Go out and meet people in the scene shake some hands, go see some bands and, and, and make yourself known, make yourself noticed at these shows, just, you know, strike up conversations and let people know what you're up to. And you'll meet some cool people, if anything, and you see some good music. So I think you just got to kind of immerse yourself in your area's music scene is the biggest thing. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. You have, you have to reach out, but would you also say that it's equally important to have an online presence? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, the online thing for sure. I mean, at this point, it's so it's free too. It's like, geez, come on, Facebook. Can you imagine like like the pandemic without Facebook? I mean, we had all these live stream shows and all this other, you know, and and it helped me out with the mixing and mastering jobs and stuff. But it's like, yeah, I think the web presence is that's a whole other ball game. And I was discussing this with someone too that I love how the gap between the artist and the fan is like has closed so mm -hmm. like you're talking to your favorite artist you know and they're recognizing you on their live streams and stuff like i think that's so cool don't you oh yeah yeah for sure i mean i love every aspect not every aspect but i love most aspects of what the internet gives us in terms of connecting us i mean this show alone has connected we with, with so many people. Yeah. And, you know, if you didn't have that, it'd be a little bit more difficult. It would be just like the music industry. It's just like working class audio could only be like maybe like a, a local PBS thing at best if, if it weren't for the internet. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll listen to, and that's another thing. It's like, I'll listen to podcasts and then you'll have someone on that I didn't know who they were and I really dug their thing and I would friend them on Facebook and say, hey, I really enjoyed your chat with Matt and then you're now friends with them and you get to see the music that they're making and stuff. It's like, that's just all right there for crying out loud. It's so cool. But yeah, so I think that uh, the online presence is, is going to be huge. But that's even another thing. It's like, how do you make yourself different from... Every person online. Okay, so. so you're you're actually stirring some some questions here. 
Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Sampley.app or Sampley.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. One thing that I take issue with is... You know, it's one thing to be on the internet and, and friend people or follow people, but communicating with people, I feel that there's a lot of, I don't want to say, well, yeah, I, I, I'm going to just kind of say like in general, younger people have a difficult time, I think, articulating an introduction conversation. And sometimes I get messages that I'm, I just scratch my head like, wow, does this person really think this is an okay way to communicate? Or, and, and whether it's social media or LinkedIn or what, or just cold emails, just like, it's strange sometimes. Do you, do you get emails from younger artists that are a little awkward? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying, you know, but we're also from the generation. It's like, if you like a band, you went up to the band merch table and said, Hey, I'm Matt, you know, nice to meet you. I'd love a shirt, blah, blah, blah. Like we're used to face to face, which actually takes a lot more guts to go up to someone and introduce yourself in person, you know? And so you take down that wall and maybe it's just the communication skills. I don't know what it is, but I know exactly what you're saying. It's do they feel more reserved to you? Like, no, is no. that what you're getting, or, or is it, or just like blatantly too forward? No, no, no. It's 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 kind of like dispensing with all pleasantries and and no kind of trying to connect. It's like, hey, oh, okay. Like for example, people reach out and be like, hey man, let's do a podcast. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Let's. Do you want to <laughs> create a podcast, or do you are you trying to say you want to be on the podcast, or? Or people that just send you messages like, hi, or I don't know. It's just a general, I think, a flaw in communication ability that I encounter. And I'm just curious if does that. Yeah, I've, I've gotten it too. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. The like, hey, I know you from this thing. And I think this is really cool. And I can relate to you is like a great icebreaker. And they're just skipping that. Exactly. 
exactly yeah. there's no yeah. like like they, i don't think they teach they, they don't they don't teach that in school that networking ability that ability to come up and say hey this is who i am and i'm bugging you for the following reason because i connect with something you said and i want to do this and people aren't really clear and they're kind of right. just like I have a funny story about that. So like back when I was touring, we were, uh, we played Austin city limits festival and I'm a gigantic fan of the band spoon, like total. Oh, fan yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so we're in Austin and we're in the kind of backstage artist area and Britt Daniel, the singers is standing over there and I'm like, Oh my God, he's just such a cool guy. I'm like, I'm such a, I'm such a fanboy. Like, so I'm like, I want to go talk to him. I'm like, I got to go talk to him. And I'm like, I'm like, what the hell do I say without acting like an idiot? So I went up to him, like, hey man, I'm Andy. You know, I just want to tell you, man, I'm 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 a record producer, and it's like anytime I just love the drum sounds you guys get. You guys always get such a good in the room vibey analog thing. We talked for an hour and a half after that, right? About recording, you know what I mean? So it's like that was the perfect icebreaker. It's like, okay, this guy's not just some BS guy who likes me because I'm in a band. He really likes what we're doing in, on our records. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I just said the right thing. And even when someone says the right thing to you, you get excited because it's like, oh yeah, this person's relating to what, I, and that's such a better way to break the ice than just being generic or even skipping pleasantries altogether. You know what I mean? So like, if you have something in common with someone, go right for that unique thing and then that can be your conversation starter and then your the basis of your conversation is that that analog drum sounds or whatever the heck you want to call it you yeah. know what i mean it, i guess it depends on what you're doing you know and for me some of the younger engineers i mean people approach me all the time because they want to be on the show and i totally yeah. understand that and it's sometimes it's really awkward how people come across in a in a message like that but when you're in that position of you are capable to do something for somebody, in your case, you're, you know, you could produce a song for somebody and really flush it out. So it takes a little bit of empathy on our part, but at the same time, it also takes two to tango. I like, I love it when people can just reach out and be very clear about what their intentions are and what the commonality is there, as opposed to and I, I won't I won't name this person, but I had somebody reach out to me from Los Angeles who I didn't know who he was. And he was just like, hey, you know, I, we should do do a show together. And I said, OK, not 100 percent sure. No promises. He said, oh, you should look me up. People know who I am. And I was like, OK. And then the next thing, like 10 minutes had passed and he's like, fuck this. I shouldn't have to prove myself to you. And I'm just like, whoa. How did we uh, escalate so quickly? So I said, hey, man, you know, you, you don't have to prove anything to me. I'm just telling you, like, I got a lot coming at me and I don't want to make yeah. you any promises unnecessarily and disappoint. So, and he, you know, it was awkward as hell, but I just, well, I was, yeah, like, and I can't, yeah. And it's like, you know, I could see someone in your position being very blunt and upfront, but I, I even see you being nice about the whole thing. And even maybe it's just my generation, but it's like, I would never like, I don't know. It's just not in me to say, I would never email you and say, Hey man, I'd love to be a guest on your show. I would be more like, like what I did for, um, tape op is like my buddy, Glenn Brown, who, who lives in Lansing. You just won a Grammy for producing Billy strings record. And I reached out to tape op and I'm like, Hey, you should do an article on Glenn. He's, he's a feature. And then Larry was like, well, why don't you write the article? And I'm like, Oh, okay, sure. You know what I mean? It's like, but that's very Larry. I, 
<laughs> I know, <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like you can make yourself, your presence known through through good natured stuff too. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It doesn't have to be about you. It's like I think that we're all. A lot of us are just champions of each other. Like we're all rooting for each other. And anytime anybody gets any good ink on anything, I'm I'm super happy. So it's like there are ways to be forward. And also like even using your stuff you work on as like your business card to somebody. So like like if I was to reach out to Matt, like like let's say, you know, I, I hadn't been on the show and I hadn't been doing this very long, I might say, hey, Matt, I'm really proud of this record I made. I, I, if you get a second, check it out. That's a great first impression. You know what I mean? It's like if you get time, don't you think like a better icebreaker than, hey, put me on the show. <laughs> right, right. You should know who I am. It's just like, yeah, it's a big, bad world out there. There's so many people. Sorry. No, I don't know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So in in short, for those that are listening, no matter what side of that, the conversation you're on, it's like if if you're in our side where, you know, Andy can really flush out a song for you and make it like commercial style hit that's one thing or or you know in my case people coming on the show it's like if you're in that kind of position of making a decision and helping somebody you got to have a little empathy but at the same time if you're the person who's trying to reach out to folks like us and and the many others out there you got to know how to phrase things and to how how to like ingratiate yourself into the situation instead of like standing up tall and being like i demand attention and i demand that you should mix my band's record for free kind of thing. Yeah, can you imagine Chad Blake going up to someone and say you should like he would never say you should know who I am. He'd be like, "Hi, I'm Chad. I've been I've been lucky enough to work on a few records that that are pretty cool, I think." Oh yeah, I like, mean, he, you, you know what I mean? Like we're talking now, we're talking like the Bob Clearmount, the best to do it. They're as humble as hell about it. They're not saying you should know who I am. So that's right. That's right. Chad of all people would never do that. Right. Yeah. You may not even know who he is and, and yep. he will not exactly make it clear to you either. He'll stay in the back. He's a very, uh, very yep. quiet, yep. respectful guy in general. Yep. Well, so what else has been going on? You had, you had a little bit of health things happen with your back. Yeah. Well, I've, and this is another thing that kind of ties into doing this for so long too. It's like, I've, I've had neck issues for about, 12 years and it's called degenerative disc disease so it's basically just like bad arthritis in your neck or spine or wherever so been through the ringer on that neck injections all kinds of stuff and of course when you sit in a chair or like me i was a bass player live i'd played in cover bands and stuff wearing a p bass for five hours a night that didn't help right so just recently within the last year i started getting some nerve pain and stuff so i just had surgery Two weeks ago from today, so things are going good. I'm recovering well. It was this like C5, C6 fusion thing. So they kind of just made me taller again, I guess. I, I shrunk. I oh, used yeah. to be 6'1", and then I was six foot, and they kind of pushed that space back up. So it kind of lets all the nerves relax, and everything just kind of puts it back to where it's supposed to be. So feeling pretty good. Like I said, it was the, boy, the first couple of days after surgery though. It's like, oh my gosh, did I feel like the oldest person on the planet? Like I couldn't move. My shoulders were all seized up. My daughter's looking at me like, dad, what What can I do? What can I do? I'm like, ice, ice. <laughs> I, need I need ice. ice. 
So we got through it, though, and uh, we had a new puppy, too. My studio dog passed away this summer, oh. Coco, which you can see behind me. She was the Reed Recording Studio pet, but that was another thing that was a little tricky, but we're uh, getting by, and we got another puppy. So those are the big life changes. It's like, hopefully, though, this neck thing... I was getting to the point where four or five hours and I had to be done with the session. Wow. Used to be able to go a lot longer, but I don't want to be ridiculous with it. A six, seven hour session would be great with like a lunch break or something. So I'm hoping that this takes care of that because, you know, anytime you're really hyper focused on something and you have pain anywhere, it's hard to super hyper focus. It, it distracts you. So, yeah, this has been a long time coming. I was really looking forward to getting the surgery done. And I, I actually, my first session with people are, is Friday. So back, so a couple of weeks off, it's not too bad to kind of recharge the batteries and got me itching to hit the record button again. You know what I mean? Had you seen a chiropractor ever? I have. Yeah. I've seen everything, dude. Yep. <laughs> yep. You name it, I've seen it. Acupuncture. Tried it tried, all. Yeah, tried the you know medicinal marijuana, tried hydrotherapy, physical therapy, the neck injections where they stick like four needles in your neck, Ouch. all that crap. Yeah, it's not fun, dude. It's basically just like a steroid injection, I think, or a nerve block or something. I don't know. I've, 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 so this has been a 12-year venture to kind of like avoid surgery. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And then once I kind of started getting the nerve pain thing, the doc's like, you need to get this fixed because now you're... I mean, you know, you mentioned the P-base thing, but I mean, really at the end of the day, is it is it a lot of sitting that has done this in your opinion or, or is it is it beyond that? Is Are we talking something a bigger picture? I think it's partial genetics. I think I was in a car accident when I was 21 and had some pretty bad whiplash. They kind of think it might have started there and then just gradually. And my here's the thing, dude. I have a huge head and I'm not, I mean, ego <laughs> probably too, but I'm just saying my head is gigantic. So you're talking this neck has to have some strength behind it because I got a huge melon. So I think it's a little bit of that bad posture, leaning in. You know how it is. It's like we can make ourselves the most ergonomically correct everything. And then when we start focusing on something with our heads tilted and stuff, it's just like, okay. So, yeah, I just think it's like a, a whole bunch of everything. You know, not, I'm, you know, 45, I don't eat the best. I, I need to exercise more. But then that's another thing. It's like I used to play hockey and softball and do lots of really good physical things to keep me in shape. And I have had to like slow down on those because of the pain. And so, of course, if you're not as healthy, then your neck's going to not be in good. So this is hopefully this opens the door to get back into some my old lifestyle and exercising more and eating better and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm, it's going to be a good launch pad for that. Well, I mean, Michigan winters are not conducive to exercise. Let's face it. No, no. Shoveling snow and, and ice hockey is about all you got. And that's another nice thing about having a puppy. It's like we, I walk, walk her three times a day now. It's like, hey, I'm getting a couple miles in, you know, so it, it, it's good. Yeah. It's funny how dogs will do that to you. It's like you yeah. end up exercising more, you know, walking more as a result. So back to the business of, of recording and such, you know, since I've talked to you, what did we say, five years ago? Yeah. Have you had any major revelations about not only the the workflow of recording, but the business of recording? So the art and the business, is there any any major things there that you've observed in yourself, any changes over the last five years? 
Oh, man, I feel like I definitely appreciate it more, if, if that makes sense, if that's a good answer. I mean, especially with everything that's happened in the pandemic, but like, I'm so grateful that when someone calls me and, and they're a good singer-songwriter or they're a good band or something and they want me to do this, and and I guess it's I was chasing chasing sound in a way before, too, where it's like I wanted to impress and you really want to like show what you can do and that kind of thing and and now it's like if I do get someone in it's because they liked this record or this record or they liked what I did on this thing you know so it's like I'm getting gigs based on my own accomplishments now which is kind of cool so that has made me settle in and be more confident in what I do and I'm not like I guess my confidence is higher That that's a good way to put it too so it's like I feel like I'm able to take more chances and and fail in front of somebody and not be bummed out about it. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. like, so if, okay, we're going to go for this drastic idea. I'm like, this might be horrible, but it might be amazing. So let's just take 10 minutes and try it. It took me a long time to get to that point to feel confident in front of an artist to do that while they're paying you to do a job. So I've been lucky in that regard that the people I have worked with have kind of built up my self-esteem and my ego enough to where I feel a lot more confident about what I do and, and, and being more assertive. And I don't mean assertive, like I'm never going to be the producer. That's like, Oh, that line is terrible. You we're getting rid of that right now. It's like, I'm always going to be the 50, 50 producer. I don't even feel comfortable with them putting producer on the thing. I always say put co-producer with the artist like that. That's the thing, you know, it's like, so but uh, like I said, I think the the ability to to feel more confident in the in the driver's seat and and even working with people who are older than I am I shouldn't say older but like have done more like I'm working on a solo record with Brian the singer from the Verve Pipe which I used to be in the band with so he's doing a solo record with me but before he was my boss you know when I was in the band and now it's like I have to say okay let's do this, let's do this and kind of steer the ship there. So it's like, I would, I wouldn't have been able to do that five, six years ago. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I didn't have the, the background enough or the confidence to do so. And what about, what about the business end of it from a survival point of view or even what you charge or how you deal with the financial end of it? Yeah, I'm definitely, the pandemic was another thing that kind of shook the boat a little bit too. So I've definitely been on a I used to spend so much money on gear. Like, it was so bad. I probably have owned every single preamp ever made at least once and and tried it in my studio. I don't know why that's a thing, but I feel really confident with the set of tools that I have right now. And I don't feel like I need, you know, I I, I guess if I get that Jones to buy something, I'll I'll buy a plug-in or something like that at this point. So feeling really good as far as where the studio is at now the big thing with me is that within the last couple months i did hire my first employee which is great an artist named laura laura aldrich and she's someone that i've worked with and great singer songwriter piano player she wants to get into music more so she's starting at part-time a couple days a week she's going to help me with some of the business side of things like the the scheduling and but she also wants to learn the production side too so She's great in the room. She's really quick to pick up on stuff. She's got a beautiful voice. So having someone else in the room that can has this other set of tools is going to be huge for the business. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
So that's that's a big thing for me. And the, plus, it's going to free me up to focus a little bit more on my my side of things. And and when you have a business like when you are in a smaller market, I do rarely, but I do get the two block chunks, you know, where someone will block out two, three weeks and do a record. But it's maybe once or twice a year. So what I'm dealing with is like one, two days at a time with this artist, day with this artist. And then they do that maybe two, three dates a month because that's within their budget. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of records going at once, like probably somewhere between 12 to 15 going at one time. So staying on top of making sure that everybody has the dates that they want and the schedules they want to, it's like that's a little bit tougher to juggle. When you're the only person, it's all on you to take care of those things. So having someone else help me with like, Hey, you're out of dates or this, you know, this coming Thursday is your last having someone emailing all the artists and making sure they're all taken care of and know when their dates are and giving them the the schedule so they can get the dates they need to finish their project in time. Because even musicians are musicians. They'll come in like Thursday. Oh, this is my last date. Uh, You got anything next week? (laughs) You know, and I'm like, no, I don't have anything until March, you know. So I got to kind of I want to be better. I want to be better about stuff like that. And I think that having someone kind of keep an eye on me and kick me in the butt a little bit is going to help me a lot on the business side. What about your studios in your home? So is that ever awkward to have different people coming over all the time? Not really. Mainly because I know the person somehow or another, or they're a referral from a person that I know. So it's like... If there's an artist that reaches out to me that I don't know at all, I will go meet them, have dinner, talk to them, make sure that we're connecting on some kind of human level first. And then if it's just someone that you don't feel comfortable in your home, then you don't take the gig kind of thing. Yeah. But and I, and I haven't had that situation at all in years. Anybody that calls at this point is probably a friend of a friend or something like that. And so it's, it's, it's all been, I've been pretty lucky in that regard. So the language gets out of hand once in a while down here, but my daughter's heard it all at this point. So (laughs) (laughs) I got another good revelation tidbit for you too. So one thing that came out of this whole venture that I I had no idea was going to be a thing was like read recording company oh there was just the name i gave my studio you know it's basically still my house it's not really uh it's a production studio but like it's kind of become like i don't want to say like a badge of honor but it's kind of become this weird collective of pride for a lot of the artists that i've worked with and now everybody kind of plays on everybody else's records i've done like tons of t-shirt orders and these people are trying to put together like a documentary on like all the different artists that have recorded here so it's kind of become a weird little club if you will and i had no you know these are things like yeah okay this is going to happen but yeah so it's kind of become like this little badge of honor for a lot of these artists and they're playing shows together and like i said some of them are writing together sometimes bands will break up and then the other like this is all stirred from this little room in my house you know what I mean it's like I never knew that that would happen but over the last five six years it's really blossomed into this thing I got two artists that didn't know each other are doing a dual release show in February because they're both read recording company people and just stuff like that it's like it's super super cool so it's become a little bit of a hub now you know what I mean like kind of a, a central location for a lot of people to congregate 
meaning that like, oh, and I don't want to say it's because of me, but it's like, if I feel like if they say, well, if Andy recorded them, they might be doing something cool or blah, 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 blah. And that's been, I'm pretty proud of that. Like it's people are finding each other and doing things musically that would not have just because of the studio. That's pretty neat. Sounds a, a bit reminiscent of Donzi and Tara with Inner Ear in DC and all the, the Discord yeah. bands. You know, you kind of create a hub. I know that uh, I think before Don had the studio that closed recently, unfortunately. But before Don had a studio, I think he was doing it out of his house, very much like Albini yeah. had been doing it out of his house for a period of time. Yeah, yeah. It's totally become that thing. It's like, so now you have an area that didn't really have a music scene, kind of has this weird little artistic music scene like not necessarily a live thing or but it's it's a creative songwriter thing and it's recording artists making records like i have one friend or client roscoe he doesn't even play live he just makes records and brings all of his favorite musicians in and he writes songs and has different people play on each one he'll have different people sing them and stuff like that and it's like it's amazing. He has the time of his life just trying different people, getting people to play together that wouldn't have normally played and, and just putting it down on record. It's super fun. Yeah, and I think that sometimes people feel that, okay, if you're, if you're a musician or you know, you're a band or you're an artist, that playing live and making records goes hand in hand because you, know, you go out, you play live, you sell the records, blah, 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 the old kind of model. But there's a lot of people who have no interest in playing live and all they want to do is make records because it's it's fun for them yeah and i'm at a price point like i said it's like that that's one thing that's kind of steered me away from getting the building too it's like i've always looked and I, maybe if the right place comes along it will but it's like i love the idea of being able to keep my price hourly down enough to where it's like you can make really really great sounding record for five six thousand dollars when you're done you know or whatever and it's like shoot back when we were in our 20s it's like you couldn't make a record for five grand you had to pay like 10 to 15 because the studios were all super expensive you had to pay for tape blah 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 certainly couldn't get it done in, in a timely manner right unless you were unless you play it live and had your crap together yeah so it's like to have that option to give people i'm glad I've stayed where I'm at because I'm at a price point high enough to be able to do this comfortably and, and still upgrade equipment and, and all that stuff, but I'm I'm not pricing out of anybody yet, so that's good. Yeah, I think in looking at my own situation, I don't think I would ever have I mean, I'm I'm essentially I'm mixing and mastering out of my home at this point and not doing much else. So I think if I were to ever have a studio a, I would never rent a building. B, I would do it for real if I was going to build a studio. And I would not make it so that it was dependent on being a commercial studio. Yeah. That it was like my workshop. Right. Well, and that's the thing, too. It's like being close to all these other areas. I can rent an amazing room for 200 bucks a day. Just say, hey, I, I want to book the, your studio. You don't need an engineer, blah, blah, blah. They'll be like, okay, 200 bucks is cool. So I can say, band, $200 to rent this room. I'll bring some of my crap. Let's go do the horn section live or whatever, stuff like that. So if I do need bigger spaces and, you know, I, oops, I got this remote rig that I'm like, 
I want to take drums in churches and try stuff and just like, so I don't need the big space because of, like I said, the being able to get the drum sounds that I want now too with some of these room emulations. But it's like, I feel like that would be a huge gamble. I would feel comfortable doing it if the right place came along, but there's no, it's not a necessity at this point. It's not limiting me in a way that I feel like I have to upgrade or side grade or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're about out of time, Andy. So okay. let me direct the listeners to readrecordingcompany.com. Link will be in the show notes, obviously, and as well as some social media connections there. Really good to see you, man. Glad to have you back after five years. That went by in a in a blink of an eye. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. I uh, always appreciate what you do and I still love listening to the podcast, so keep them coming. Will do, absolutely. All right, Andy, you take care. All right, thanks, Matt. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LPUNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Andy Reid. Here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I want to, of course, encourage you to head on over to your podcast aggregator and leave us a five-star review if you are enjoying the show. And if you're not, that's okay. Go do something else. But seriously, yeah, if you like the show, that always helps out when you leave a five-star review and or write something nice. I don't know, not a novel, maybe a you know short story, possibly. I kid. Okay, anyways, that's all for me today. I want to thank my crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plo in the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith with the magic voice at the top of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Always feel free to email me, matt at workingclassaudio.com. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware... Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.